welcome to the STR Data Lab. Welcome to the STR Data Lab. My name is Jamie Lane, a VP of Research at AirDNA, and I'm joined here with my good friend and colleague, Bram Gallagher, uh, economist with AirDNA. And we are going to talk today about regulation, housing prices, and uh, some research that Bram has, has looked into that I think is really going to be relevant uh, for anyone operating in the short-term rental industry, thinking about operating. Uh, or investing in short-term rentals. And it really builds off of I mean, work that so many in the industry have been putting time and effort into, uh, and that could have could be one of the largest threats to further industry growth. So, Bram, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I'm excited to be here. So uh, maybe I, just to kick it off, uh, could you give the audience a, a bit of background on yourself and and how you found yourself as an economist at AirDNA? Sure. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. So you and I worked together on uh, hospitalities for years with uh, CBRE, what, what originally started out as PKF Hospitality Research, uh, until, of course, you decided to, to become the vice president here at uh, AirDNA. And it's such an interesting space. You've been telling stories about it for many years. And uh, when you wanted an economist, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. And that was in, uh, that, that was in September so of last year. And uh, really been trying to get uh, uh, as much information about this, this part of, of hospitality and, and the, the space as possible since then. And for our listeners, so uh, what was some of your background before you got into the sort of hospitality economics uh, trade? Sure. Yeah. In 2011, I got my PhD in economics from the University of Georgia. Go dogs. Uh, and I was actually teaching economics for a number of years at Middle Tennessee State University and then Barry College for a year. But you know, I decided that uh, if you really want to learn about the economy, what better place to do that than actually in the economy? So I decided to go to, uh, to uh, private industry and uh, the hospitality space is just so interesting and it is such a modeling challenge that I just, I, you know, I, I love it and I think I could, could work here for the rest of my career. That's great. I'm really happy to hear you say that. So us, maybe both of us come to, from both aspects of the lodging industry, the hospitality industry, working in both hotels uh, and short-term rentals and specifically looking at the the data and around the performance of both, but trying to give maybe a, some of your initial reactions, maybe some of your initial thoughts on on what you've read around or experienced on why would a city, municipality, county, state want to restrict short-term rentals and their use and in, in, in future investment? Yeah, great question, Jamie. Um, when I originally started this research, I was focusing on on one issue that governments might address with regulation, and that was housing affordability. But in doing so, uh, I found a lot of other reasons that have been put forward as problems that might be addressed, such as additional short-term rentals might bring a criminal element into the area. If you've got a bunch of, you know, essentially low-cost hotels, you know, or else the visitors themselves might bring a lot of traffic. Uh, they may make noise. Uh, they may use the infrastructure excessively. They're coming in from, from outside and, and using some of the resources that the, the community has. One of the earliest concerns, and this was with 
uh, local governments as well as destination marketing organizations and, of course, hotels that would compete with short-term rentals uh, in the area was whether or not they were paying occupancy taxes. Uh, so the, the collection of taxes, uh, I think, initially with short-term rentals was, was largely um, sort of under the radar or, or not being able to, to be addressed. So maybe we'll sort of take the housing affordability issue and sort of put it to the side for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, but those initial or other three concerns on neighborhood disruption, safety, taxes, did you read anything or find anything in the research that and spoke specifically to those? I did. And a lot of these issues have, uh, you know, fallen by the wayside as they have either become better addressed. And that would be in the case of, of taxes. I believe it's a, st a statistic that you had that about 90 percent of short term rentals are now paying the, the equivalent occupancy taxes to, to hotels in the area. So that one has been largely addressed as time has gone by. Uh, there are some studies that have specifically looked at uh, crime, I guess, as the biggest negative externality, you know, so what are, uh, what are the, the effects of crime? And they, they've, uh, people have looked at this time and time again, and they cannot find a clear connection with, uh, with crime and, and short-term rentals. So I guess the, the idea was that if you've got, you know, sort of a bunch of unknown folks coming into the, to the neighborhood, they might be there to commit crimes. But, um, uh, the studies that, that I've seen, they've looked at, say, the Florida STR market. And the only thing that they've found is that if you have a really high density of shared room units, you might have a little bit of extra property crime. Now, shared room units are a very small minority of the total short-term rentals. So this is when several people are going to be uh, spending the night in a single room. Now, on the other hand, private rooms, entire homes, when those are rented out, actually, it's, you get the opposite effect, a slight negative effect on uh, property crime. And the, the reason that they purport to this or, or the reason that they suggest that this is the case is that you've got more people in the neighborhood. They might just be more witnesses to, to crimes, which will discourage uh, that crime. Though in either case, it's a very small effect. Uh, some other studies that have looked at Texas, for instance, find similar results uh, mixed results at, at best, uh, um, but, but essentially no association with, with crime. Uh, some of the negative externalities like traffic, noise, these are a little bit harder to pin down. But something that has come out of the affordability literature is that you know, you've got uh, different effects that might be driving home prices up and some that might be driving them down. So noise and traffic, those would tend to be driving prices uh, down in the neighborhood. Well, almost all of the studies that I've looked at have said that, that there is a small but positive effect on house prices. I say almost all because some of them uh, have found no effect at all. Um, but the rest of them have said that there, there might be a small positive effect. So that even if uh, there isn't a specific study looking at, say, noise or traffic or any other sort of these externalities that might be negatively affecting housing prices, they're all washed out by whatever positive effects might exist and, and the total effect on, on values on the neighborhood quality uh, has been positive. That's great. And, and anecdotally and, and, and maybe a bit more um, academically, I've seen that 
a lot of those con- types of concerns, safety concerns, noise, uh, taxes are are able to be well managed with local ordinances, uh, regulations associated with and maybe nor- noise monitoring technology and knowing who's operating uh, the unit. So if there is a noise issue that they can uh, deal with it or specific regulations around trash, parking, traffic uh, that sort of meet and the needs of locals and, and neighbors w- within a neighborhood. That's, that brings up a great point. There are there are lots of good regulations out there, and there are good reasons to have regulations. You know, knowing who is in charge of a short-term rental is certainly a very important part of it. Um, but that goes back to the the varied uses or varied applications that regulation might be trying to address. So maybe now let's I mean, go front and center on the housing affordability issue. And as you know, and maybe a bit more than some of our listeners, when we start looking at, at problems, I like to start super simple. And I like to look for clear correlations, cause and effect uh, in the data set. And broadly, I think we can agree that and the impact here that and a lot of researchers have looked at and a lot of the concerns out there is specifically around an increase in short-term rental supply and around the country and uh, that having a positive effect on home values. And in high level, and we can see in our data and combining with census, uh, U.S. Census data, that there's roughly 1.1 million short-term rentals in the U.S., so to our, not necessarily full-time, but uh, entire home rentals uh, in a, a single-family home or multifamily building, uh, and that's data that we track. Uh, there's roughly 140 million housing units in the U.S., according to the U.S. Census, which equates in roughly uh, 0.7% of the existing housing stock. And so on the surface, that seems not a a large percent, but maybe a non-trivial amount. And then just looking at the changes and what we've seen in terms of housing prices. So in the lead up to the pandemic, Uh, So from February or from the beginning of 2018 to uh, the onset of the pandemic, we had seen housing prices go up uh, by about 12 percent. That's roughly 6 percent annually, 5, 6 percent annually, which is, I think, pretty typical that we've seen over time. Uh, All the while, short term rental supply was up 40 percent. And so 20 percent year over year and pretty significant growth. Uh, and that growth had been and widely sustained over over the years, really, and from the um, onset of the online OTAs, like Airbnb and Verbo, making short-term rental uh, bookings that um, that much easier. But then, during the pandemic, uh, so from February 2020 to really, and what we saw in terms of peak housing values in August uh, 2022. Housing prices went up 42% over that two and a half year period, all the while short-term rental supply and was essentially flat, up 1% over that period. And where we had really even seen it um, go down throughout most of the pandemic. Uh, and there are so many examples out there, I pulled out two specifically, like in, in Nashville and in Austin, some of the hottest housing price markets where house prices were up. 40, 50 percent through mid-2021, all the while short-term rental supply was down 20 to 25 percent over that same period. So on the surface there, 
it looks like the sort of correlation that we've seen sort of broke. But maybe that speaks more broadly to some of the research that you've seen, or maybe we start specifically on, as economists sort of look at the housing market, what are the main factors out there that they see that impact housing prices? Yeah, sure. And you know, to take it back to, say, 2008, that was about when Airbnb started, if I'm not mistaken. And at the same time, we were just in the we were in the grips of the Great Recession back then. I was uh, certainly well aware of that. Housing prices crashed very quickly from a from a very high level in 2007. But something else that occurred at that time was that uh, because we had this great financial crisis, lending standards tightened. They tightened a lot, and that led to fewer homes being sold and fewer homes being built. In fact, the number of homes being built in the, the wake of the Great Recession was uh, hit its lowest point since 1960. Previous low was in 1982, right? So that was when Volcker was trying to turn back inflation, uh, when, when things were, were looking bad, when it was stagflation as far as the eye can see. Very troubled times for the housing market. That was the previous low. We got way lower than that in the wake of uh, the Great Recession. Uh, we've only recently, I think last year, gotten back to the, the construction long run average of units per year. So housing prices, you know, they've been increasing since 2008. And that's, uh, that's a big reason is that the supply there has been throttled to a, to a low level, almost a whole missing generation of home construction. So supply has been uh, diminishing at time. Population is still increasing. And also populations are moving within the country as well. So uh, there are a lot of coastal cities that are seeing uh, populations increasing in southern cities. So Texas, we're seeing a lot of population movement. There's a lot of places in Florida that have been seeing enormous population increases. In the southwest, of course, California for a long, long period of time had increasing populations and this is at the uh, expense of, of cities in the interior of the country, in the Midwest, where we've seen, you know, uh, industri- deindustrialization. And that's a long-standing trend. But but what that also can lead to is, in these cities where we have a lot of migration, the supply is slower to react than demand. We've got a bunch of people moving there that need houses, that need housing, so uh, the supply gets pinched. Prices can go up. And certainly we saw that accelerate dramatically during the pandemic as people started to move out of uh, places that were dense, um, places that were were highly urbanized, uh, and and there was a lot of of population concentration. So I guess the most famous stories were in New York. New Yorkers, uh, you know, famously, they say the whole city is my living room. Well, during the pandemic, of course, your living room is shut down a lot of interest in maybe finding a place where your living room is your living room. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've seen people moving around and that, that can cause um, locally, certainly some house prices to, to go up very quickly. Um, and, you know, I'll point out too, those housing prices accelerated almost immediately after the pandemic started, you know, just a few, few, few months after it started. And I was working with hotels at the time we were not sure that there was going to be a hospitality industry at any point in the future at that moment. It was a apocalyptic. Uh, so certainly nobody was thinking about short-term rentals or hotels or, or vacation, anything uh, at the time when those housing prices started accelerating very quickly. The other thing I had heard on the demand side was just and really what had been happening in terms of household formations. I, had you heard that too? 
Uh, well, it, from the beginning of the pandemic, uh, yeah, anecdotally, I've heard that um, uh, whereas prior to the pandemic, you might be willing to share a apartment or uh, a home with, with maybe even people that you don't know. Uh, after the pandemic, uh, it was a little bit less likely. You know, you wanted some more of your own private space. Uh, so, you, so you could see living arrangements change a little bit. Um, and if you previously had three people that were in one home and now they want three separate dwellings, then we're going to either have to figure out how to subdivide these places very quickly or, or you're going to have just a, a big demand, uh, a boost without according supply and, and they're going to be bidding prices up. Okay. So really a, a confluence of factors. So maybe a, a generation of a lack of, of housing supply being built. And factors that really came to a head during the pandemic of increasing in demand, many locations uh, became desirable uh, that maybe hadn't been in the past and where people just can't build new housing fast enough and economic conditions and people had disposable income coming in at much higher rates than prior periods maybe gave them and those stimulus checks gave them that first opportunity to buy a home, to put a down payment down, and that those were, were big factors. One thing I, I didn't hear you say, though, and maybe and one of the reasons why we're here to talk about it is maybe reductions in long-term housing supply uh, because of al alternative use from uh, short-term rentals. So in your research, and what what did the literature actually say about the impact of uh, short term rentals on on housing prices? Yeah, that that's essentially the focus of uh, of the paper. And so what I set out to do there's not a lot of original research in here, but I wanted to see what uh, academic literature had said on the subject. And so I essentially read every single paper I could get my hands on. And there have been many examinations of, of the effect of short-term rentals on housing prices. The earliest, most influential uh, paper that I can find uh, was a very famous Shepard and Udell paper back in 20, that started working on back in 2016 that looked at, at um, uh, data in New York. And it found a, a pretty significant effect. It, it used a variety of different ways of, of looking at it. Probably the most compelling method that they used the hedonic method uh, came up with a, a doubling of short-term rentals in New York could have led to a six to eleven percent increase in home prices in, in New York. So this was one of the earliest studies. It was very influential, and uh, almost all the subsequent studies that that I looked at cited this paper because this is a pretty significant effect. So you know, as as uh, as you mentioned, I, I didn't list STRs as a, probably a big determinant of of um, housing price increases. However, if you were to take the results from this paper, you might say, well, it is not the most important effect, but it is certainly a significant effect. One thing that they were unable to do, however, was to control for the change in neighborhood popularity. Um, so the change in popularity. Uh, uh, of of a neighborhood and, and the corresponding difference in price that would, would happen within that neighborhood. Now, this is very important, I think, because this could easily be correlated with short-term rentals and with, uh, uh, with housing prices as well. So if you've got high-income 
employed people, well-educated people that all want to move into a neighborhood, then you're probably also going to have a bunch of people that want to visit this neighborhood as well and, and see the amenities that, that are being constructed or being used in that neighborhood. So this is a pretty significant uh, caveat that they gave to their results. And I'll point out that it's pretty much all the subsequent uh, papers that I read, and there, there have been a lot of studies of individual cities, but all the subsequent papers I read tried to control for this in, in a variety of different ways. The most uh, prevalent would be to, to use an instrument, uh, and that is to say a sudden shift in the STR environment. And uh, there, that would try to control for this, this one unobserved variable of neighborhood quality by saying, all right, this, this change in, let's say, short-term rental regulation occurs. And it's going to very, very quickly either reduce the total supply of short-term regulation, or if not, then it's going to eliminate the option value of creating additional short-term rentals. So that's, that's what a lot of these studies did subsequent to that in an attempt to control for that unobserved neighborhood popularity effect. And almost universally, they, they found uh, two, two things. Uh, one, that the effect is much smaller uh, generally uh, than the Shepard and Udell paper. So when you look at these or controlling for that, that effect, what you're also controlling for and what you can control for is, say, changing incomes and, and changing uh, employment and changing neighborhood popularity. You can control for all these, all these kinds of things with this sort of framework and, and better identify this. So all of the uh, price increases that are associated with income and, and popularity, those sort of fall, fall away. And what we're left is the pure short-term rental effect. And it's generally much smaller. And, and this is very important. It's concentrated. So Okay. It, so so how, how I understand that is in, in many ways, like the areas that people were putting short-term rentals into were the areas that were most popular are, are becoming most popular within the city. So, and it was really hard. And that popularity was causing an in, increase in housing values not necessarily short-term rentals that were coming in at the same time. Once you control for increasing popularity of different areas within the city to remove out the, uh, that effect from what was also happening within the short-term rental industry, and it showed, one, that they were correlated, uh, and two, that the impact of short-term rentals was actually much less than previously observed, right? Yes, it was. It was much smaller, much smaller effect, and it was a concentrated effect. To put it, I, you know, to put it in concrete terms, let's say that that there's going to be a big park that's installed somewhere in the city. Obviously, this is going to make that part of the city much more attractive, more popular. Should drive home prices up, and also should drive short-term rentals up because now you can go visit the, the great park uh, as well. Uh, so it's sort of this this third sort of unobserved effect. To cause that. Uh, but, you know, the, we can still find this positive effect. Uh, and I shouldn't say that there, there is none, isn't any effect at all. There is a positive effect, uh, but it is much smaller when you look at, at large groups of, of places. And it's much more concentrated within specific types of, of homes, those located in highly touristic areas. So if, you know, you're, you have an attraction um, within your city, then, then the home price could, could be affected by short-term rentals um, 
probably because the concentration is going to be heavy there and there's going to be competition for for that use. Um, so, and, and that maybe gets to like, and what we've seen in the short-term rental density of like, if you look at some of the largest cities, short-term rentals, and we had talked about how overall it's about 0.7% of overall housing stock. And a lot of the major cities, it's I mean, less, I mean, like half that, 0.35%. But then you move out into I mean, what I would consider the traditional vacation rental markets, like uh, Rosemary Beach or Breckenridge or Steamboat or uh, the Adirondacks, I mean, areas that I mean, short-term rentals may be the main type of lodging. And the percentages are significantly higher, like 15, 20, 25% of the existing housing stock is used by short-term rentals. And it's it's really part of that community, part of I mean, where guests stay when they go to visit those type of markets. And in those type of areas, I mean, it's a much larger impact on home values. Whereas if you weren't able to rent out a home as a short-term rental in those areas, it could have a seriously negative impact on home values in those areas. Is that correct? Yeah. And there's two things to point out uh, there. So that's between cities, right? So we're seeing this effect between cities. These authors are seeing this effect even within cities. So you know, uh, an investigation of Los Angeles and, and uh, the authors admit they find a very small effect on Los Angeles because most places in Los Angeles are not highly touristic they don't, they don't have a lot of short-term rental interest in the area. It's, it's really the beaches and some of the, the highly visited areas uh, that are most affected. And, and what, what you're describing is, is a, more on a, in a city level. So, you know, if, if you've got, you know, Aspen over here and you can charge $1,000 a night for your ski chalet, then you, you can't tell me that's not going to have any effect on the home prices. Uh, on the other hand, if you're talking about a city where short-term rentals make up a very small percentage and it's very dilute, uh, then it's going to be very hard to find any reasonable effect or significant effect. Uh, and indeed, if we want to, to, to say, take it at an even higher level, there are several national studies that have been done by Tourism Economics. The Guardian newspaper did one in Australia. Uh, the United States is also was already looked at France of various large cities in France. And when you look at it at a national level and you include all the the, the homes, then yeah, you can't find a, a short-term rental effect. So if you really want to identify where the home prices are being affected by short-term rentals, you, you have to look in those very specific places where there is tourist interest. One other point I'll, I'll bring up, and then Shepard and Udell mentioned this way back in their paper about New York, it's that you don't necessarily want to lower housing values all the time as a, as a matter of policy. Uh, and you you can imagine if you've got a ski chalet and it is now made illegal to rent it out, then your your ski chalet is going to be less valuable. Um, but but whether that's going to be a good uh, you know accommodation for someone that wouldn't normally be able to afford housing, it's another matter. And I know you didn't look specifically at this, but I'd also imagine that in those traditional vacation rental markets, the economic impact of short-term rentals is significantly higher in those areas. And many aspects of the community probably depend on guests continuing to come and stay in the, the, those homes. 
Absolutely. If there's no skiing at all, then, then there's no ski resort towns, right? So uh, you would expect that the economic impact would, would be concentrated. Economic impacts of tourism, that is something that, of course, destination marketing organizations are always interested in, that policymakers are interested in and are very uh, uh, significant. If you have, there's usually a multiplier, and that is to say that every dollar that's spent on a short-term rental is probably also going to account for X number of dollars that are going to be spent in other places in the, in the areas where uh, transportation, restaurants, on the attractions. So naturally, any place that has a high concentration of short-term rentals is also going to have a high concentration of those external benefits, uh, economic impact. So I, I know you didn't get into it in the paper, but for for all those sort of wondering what paper we're we're referencing, we'll we'll link to it in, into the show notes. But why do you think short term rentals have become such a, a flashpoint in the sort of argument of around housing prices and in new regulation or wanting to out, outline out, outright ban short term rentals? What do you think sort of led to this? Well, housing affordability has been a, a perennial concern for, of course, potential homeowners as well as policymakers for as long as I can remember. However, the, there are a couple factors that have recently occurred, I think, that, that might have helped conflate these two in people's mind. Now, I said that Airbnb you know, started in 2008, but when did it really gain a lot of traction? I recall back in the, uh, in the PKF days, you were starting to give presentations about short-term rentals and how they, they might affect the hospitality industry. And it was about 2016 or 17, and, and people were still having trouble wrapping their, their minds around the idea that this is going to be a big part of the industry moving forward. So I think that there is the, the short-term rentals really came into the public consciousness in a big way uh, in about 2018, 2019, after you know a long time sort of being a small but growing element of hospitality. I think it really became mainstream. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. Uh, people had just been sort of acquainted with short-term rentals, and now we saw this incredible increase in prices of, of housing. So both of these things were in the news at essentially the same uh, period of time. Now, if you were to ask me, you know, what, it, it, it would be great if short-term rentals were the cause of 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 it being difficult to afford housing, right? It would be very convenient because that is much easier to regulate than say building an entire generation of single people. <laughs> you know, that, that, that would be a simple answer. And I, and I think that has a big part that has a lot to do with why people sort of conflate these. Another issue is that superficially short-term rentals look like long-term housing, right? So, uh, uh, so there might be some confusion as to the substitutability of the two. Now, it, it, we did a little bit of research on the types of houses that are used for short-term rentals and what they would be used for uh, otherwise. And we found it's a very small percentage, only about 3% or so of short-term rentals that might be able to be converted to long-term rentals uh, feasibly. A lot of these are actually houses that would otherwise just remain unoccupied or, or even user-occupied at times. Uh, but we're talking about second homes, vacation homes. And, and that makes sense on a gut level. Where are these short-term rentals the most popular? Well, it is in these you know, wonderful vacation destinations where people have second homes. Uh, so there is that sort of superficial uh, resemblance. Um, there is the sort of the recency of the enormous uptick in housing prices that we've seen over, over the last two years, three years. 
And uh, I think short-term rentals reaching that sort of critical mass where the entire public recognizes that this is a new and upcoming part of the industry. Um, and, you know, working in hotels right prior to, to this, I will say also that uh, early on in the short-term rentals, uh, the first thing that, that hotels thought, um, that hotel managers saw was, like, oh, well, these guys are com competition. And so we want to restrict these as much as possible. So I think that they were definitely willing and eager to reflect any sort of sentiments, negative sentiments about uh, the short-term rental industry. Well, Bram, I'm, I really appreciate you coming on and sort of distilling and all this great academic research out there and maybe in a way that and our readers, our listeners can, can, can understand and digest it. What's next in terms of research and things you're looking at? And are there any further aspects that you're wanting to look into on this topic or maybe what topics are up next for you? Well, there are more studies, I think, being done about short-term rentals and housing affordability. I think the big takeaway right now um, with all the studies that I've seen so far is that, that short-term rental banning and eliminating short-term rentals entirely uh, is just not a very effective lever for helping housing affordability. So this brings up two things that I'd like to investigate more, maybe what would be useful in addressing housing affordability and also uh, you know, what What can regulations achieve in the short-term rental industry? You know, what are the positives that can bring about? Uh, not broad bans or restrictions necessarily, but what are the useful uh, uh, regulations that localities can enact that will actually help improve the tourism impacts that they're going to experience uh, from short-term rentals and how they can um, help that uh, in addition to traditional hotel supply. So those are some things that I'd be interested in investigating in the future. That's great. And if listeners want to get in contact with you, maybe have additional ideas or, or want to chat, how can they, how can they reach, reach you? Uh, well, I'm always welcome to new ideas, of course. Uh, and I'm sure that your listeners have a lot of very good ones. So please feel free to send me an email, uh, bram.gallagher at airdna.co. Well, with that, uh, thanks again for joining Bram and for everyone else uh, listening in. Uh, we'll be back soon with our next episode. Thanks for having me, Jamie.